You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray that we would long to know you as you know us. Lord, that we might grow in depth of knowledge of your grace and your love for us. And as we approach your word this morning, that you would open our hearts to its truth and that we might be changed more and more into your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. I have enough of a Puritan streak in me that I'm going to be really glad when we get after chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians. Uh, And as I've said before, uh, we don't want to stand back from God's word, and yet we want to approach it with a sense of decorum. So I'll let you in on my little trick that when I come to a difficult passage like this, I just imagine my grandmother sitting in the front pew uh, and that she's listening in on my sermon. And so as practical as this passage is, in fact, Paul has already said, now concerning the matters to which you wrote, meaning I'm now getting to the questions you asked in the letter that you wrote me. It's an incredibly practical part. Uh, It's good advice for all of us. It would be a great passage to teach on at a marriage retreat, but this morning I really just want to concentrate on something that addresses all of us as human beings, and that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, when he writes, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now he's talking about different states of life, both marriage and singleness, but this entire passage I think can be under the heading of intimacy. And when I say intimacy, unfortunately in our culture, it's hard for us in our flesh to divorce intimacy from sexual intimacy. Uh, they're, in, they're totally aligned and totally together when it comes to the culture in which we live. And yet here, St. Paul is saying that's not true. Now certainly, sexual in- intimacy in the marriage relationship is an embodiment of the intimacy that a husband and wife shares. But do you notice that he says that that's not the deepest intimacy a husband and wife can share? When he goes on to talk about spouses who are believers as well as spouses who are unbelievers. And so what he's saying is that there's actually a deeper intimacy that can be shared between a husband and wife rather than simply sexual intimacy. And that's true for all of us in our day-to-day relationships. Paul says that one of the closest things that we have on earth in Ephesians chapter 5 to show us how much Jesus loves his church is what? Marriage. But did you catch it? Marriage shows us how much Jesus loves his church. And so the embodiment of intimacy with Jesus Christ and his great love ought to be made manifest not simply in marriage, but moreover in the life of his church. That in God's church we find the intimacy that Paul is talking about here, because after all, he's addressing a Christian community at Corinth. Not simply in marriage. I'm surprised by the statistics that I've been reading recently, just in the past couple weeks, I was reading in the Washington Post, that over 50% of Americans right now do not have a romantic partner. 
And so intimacy in our culture is almost unheard of. That there's an alienation that's felt in our world and there are lots of reasons as to why this 50% plus don't have a romantic partner. Technology has a huge part to play in that. Uh, but I think it's the inability of human beings in our world to actually connect with other human beings. To understand the nature of intimacy and to be able to share that with other people, even in platonic relationships. And so... Paul is saying here that intimacy needs to be manifested in the life of the church. This is how the author of Hebrews puts it. Chapter 10, verse 18. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to store one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of Hebrews is telling us that if you want to experience intimacy in your marriage, if you want to experience intimacy in your human relationships, if you want to experience intimacy in the life of the church, it first has to be experienced personally in Jesus Christ. It's out of that intimacy that we find ourselves being intimate to one, with one another. I mean, this is how Jesus operated in his own relationships with people. We heard in the opening lines of the gospel reading this morning that the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble why. Because he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. See, Jesus was always looking out for those people who were on the outside. Who were not automatically a part of the life of God's people. And this is a struggle for us today, especially as it concerns people who are not married. I mean, think about the intimacy that you shared with your friends and even your family leading up to your marriage if you're married now. I mean, some of the most intimate relationships I've ever had were with other men in college, living together in a house, doing life together, sharing fears and, and hopes and dreams with one another. And then we get married and something magical happens. We husbands only have the friends our wives give us. And that's not the wife's fault. That's on us, man. Absolutely on us. But then all of a sudden, we forget about people who are in non-marital relationships or not in a marriage relationship at all. They're on the outside. And yet they too long for and need the intimacy that the Lord Jesus Christ offers and that ought to be made manifest in the life of the church. I was reading uh, an article the other day about people uh, who were talking about this sort of thing, and this is what they wrote, and I think it's a beautiful image of what the church is supposed to look like. We also believe that every Christian has been adopted into the family of God, 
and that the bonds of spiritual kinship between brothers and sisters of faith are in fact deeper and more fundamental to Christian self-understanding than natural family relationships. We believe that the local church should be a place in which all Christians experience true belonging and genuine intimacy and that God gives each member of his household, married and unmarried alike, unique opportunities to extend welcome and hospitality so that all might partake in the joys, benefits, and responsibilities of kinship. That's what the church is supposed to look like. And so those of us that are married, are we aware of our brothers and sisters who are unmarried either by circumstance or by choice? And are we living life together? Is it more than the occasional invite to Thanksgiving dinner, but we want you to be a part of our family because in fact you are already a part of the family of God and because we've been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus, as Hebrews tells us, you and I are brothers. You and I are sisters. And so come be a part of our lives. That's exactly what Jesus did. And surely, surely the church would be blessed if we tried harder in that endeavor. But if we simply are going out of our way to try, that's good in and of itself. But what we hear in 1 Corinthians is that if this is actually going to happen, it means our own hearts have to be changed. That we have to be consumed with the love of Jesus Christ and ourselves know the intimacy that is in him. This is how Paul says it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. I'm sorry, 3.8. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Or as he says in Romans 8.18. 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying, my life is so overwhelmed with the Lord Jesus Christ that all my heart desires is to be intimate with him. I want to know more of him. I want to experience the power of his resurrection. I want his peace to reign in my heart. I want to be fully given over to him. That may not come as a shock to you, but as a child and still today, I was given over to a vivid imagination. And every once in a while I still, especially at stoplights, find myself daydreaming. And my grandmother, who's imaginarily sitting right there, used to say, he has his head in the clouds. And Paul is saying that. Your head should be in the clouds with Jesus Christ. Or have you ever encountered someone who has fallen in love and they're just so caught up in it that you don't even have to ask them if they're in love and they don't have to tell you. You simply go to them and ask, who is he? Who is she? And the same should be true of us with the Lord Jesus Christ. That we ought to know him of his great love for us and the intimacy that we share in him. Because we easily forget who Jesus is and what he has done for us by his cross and resurrection, which is why Hebrews continues to say to spur one another on, to remind one another, to gossip the gospel, to talk about Jesus' love with one another. 
we forget of God's saving power and His great love for us. And we neglect it, not just to our own detriment, but in fact the judgment of others. So when Paul says in verse 16 in our passage this morning, says this, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Do you know what he's saying? He's talking about an unbelieving partner in a relationship with a believer. And the believer is thinking, I should leave because my husband or wife is an unbeliever. And Paul is saying, do you actually think, have you come to the place where your heart is so hardened that the Lord God who saved you in the midst of your marriage relationship, because remember these are first First generation Christians, these are not people who grew up in the life of the church, but these are two unbelieving people who are married together, the Lord gets a hold of one of them, and then all of a sudden they think, you know, I'm a believer, but my husband could never be saved. He's too far gone. My wife, it could happen to me, but definitely not her. And Paul is asking the question, have you forgotten that your God is mighty to save? that he eats with sinners and tax collectors, that he longs to have an intimate relationship even with your unbelieving spouse, that the grace that has been extended to you extends to them as well. The source of our alienation in our human relationships, this great lack of intimacy and our great longing for it has everything to do with a lack of a relationship with the Creator God who came to earth in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, do you feel disconnected? Do you think of the Lord Jesus Christ and long to have this intimacy that Paul talks about? Seek Him. In your marriage, do you long to have that deep and lasting intimacy that trans even, transcends even sexuality? Seek Christ. Do you long to have deep and meaningful friendships in which you can have a shared life with others? Seek Christ. And do you long to see God's church love and care for one another in such a way that gives glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, but actually is life-giving to one another, then seek the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to experience intimacy, life-giving power, it must begin and end in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that we get so caught up in ourselves, not only to the neglect of others, but to the neglect of you. And woe be unto us when we don't sit and contemplate your glory and your majesty and what you've done for us on the cross and your mighty resurrection, and it doesn't move us. For, Lord, those of us who are in fellowship with you have been invited into intimacy to actually walk with the creator of the universe. And so, Lord, we pray that the walls that we have erected in our own hearts would come tumbling down, that the intimacy that we share with you that the floodgates would be open and that we might share with one another and love one another as you have loved us. Oh Lord, we pray that this would be so for Jesus' sake. Amen.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.